0: In this season, I'll be reading from my mom's journal and adding explanations, stories, and memories of my own. It should reveal everything you ever wanted to know about the life of a single mother on an Indian reservation during a recession. August 1st, 1984. Signed up for welfare. August 2nd through 4th. Work for mom and dad. August 5th or 6th, work for Jolly's inventory. August 7th or 8th, went to mom and dad's. Dad has edemia. Asks for my bronchometer. Note, this is an inhaler that my mom gets because she's asthmatic. I get them. Walt comes. Dr. McDonald comes. Dad shares, talks about contest with his pillow. He's going to slap his pillow if it doesn't behave and stay put. D- he didn't look good. He got a diuretic and is supposed to get an oxygen machine in a couple of days. August 9th, 1984. Mom and I couldn't sleep. Missy came at midnight and left a note that said, quote, I love you mom and dad, end of quote, and she left a small green apple. Mom and I got up at 3 a.m. and talked until 5.30 because we couldn't sleep. Mom gave Dad a diuretic at 3 and they joked about uh, getting to the bathroom on time. Mom made coffee and at 6.30 she checked on Dad and she came out and said he doesn't look good. I sat there. Mom got a washcloth with cold water to cool him off. He was very hot. She went back to get the rag cool again and she said, Eloise, he doesn't look good. I went in and looked at him. Dad was laying on his side on the edge of the bed, very still, very hot, not right. I spoke to him. He talked. I went and phoned uh, the doctor and the doctor wasn't in and so i phoned pat and told her to get here then i phoned dr baker and he said phone an ambulance i called the ambulance and went and moved mom's pickup just then just when i was coming in i saw the sunrise and i stopped to ask that the door would be opened wide, if it must be. In this moment of prayer, Mom yelled at me. And I went back in and phoned Missy. And I went in and took care of Dad, gave him a little bronchometer, talked to him. He talked a little. I kissed dad and told him about the little green apple and the note Missy left and he said he knew. He talked a little and he understood. Miss came crying, looked and left crying. Leonard came in and looked and stood and he was sad. Pat and Walt came. The ambulance came. The medics were George Atkins and Chris Luzzo. I told Dad he seemed to understand. The ambulance took Mom and Dad to the hospital in town. Pat said she knew he was dying yesterday, but when he gets better, we'll go hunting again. It seemed like a good thing to say. So we went along. Pat and Walt went to town. Missy started cleaning Dad's room. Then she phoned Althea and she went to find the pigs. Went to feed the pigs. I drank coffee. Missy hugged me so hard, she put me in shock. I, I didn't cry. I went up and told Paula that Grandpa was very bad and that the ambulance had come. And got him she was still in bed at 9 12 Pat called and said get in here now dad's breathing has changed I told Paula to get her clothes on and grab her shoes we went to Missy's and went to town with Miss and Leonard Linda Nebone and Leah Emerson were the nurses on duty Linda told me Dad had had a stroke and was not conscious. Dad was in bed, very still. Organ and heart monitor were on him. His hands were as cold as ice. Walt took Paula to the fair. He was still remembering his parents and so was Missy and Pat. Mom and I held dad's hands and Missy and I got up then and came back. Walt, George, Mom, Dawn, Kathy, Pat, Missy, Jean were all in the room when dad started to chunk and and flinch. I rang the bell, Leah and Linda came. I went and held on to mom and dad. Mom, dad went into the death spasm and was still. Walt said, I know he's hunting elk on the other side. Oh the pain of loss. Pat, Walt, mom, Paula and I went home. We told Paula she asks if she could help with the cost Then she started to cry. I cried, mom cried. Gone. The next week is a blur. The rosary was at the mortuary. The priest and there was a priest and an Indian ceremony, about 90 people. That was on August 11th. Eight at night. Dad was cremated. His ashes were buried in the cemetery by his brother Aaron's. Anita Siebert sang, Going Home. That was on August 15th. Dina, Dina Cullen died on august eleventh, she was twenty years old in a car wreck. She's a distant family member on my side, on my dad's side. Neighbor to my grandparents. Eight nine to eight twenty two is a blur. Mom had Walt do business stuff. Walt was the executor of the will found that dad had over $250,000 in loans and no life insurance, so it was like he took it with him. The place is gone. As we knew it, mom and Missy are liable for it and due to the will. Missy is in over $100,000 in loans she has for cows. Mom couldn't pay me. She gave me Sunny, and I'll get unemployment. August 22nd. School started. I brought Paula a shirt, two pairs of jeans. Buck gave her $20 for shoes. Uh, she bought pink ones. Paula brought home homework. August 23rd for Buck. Except for free school lunches. Got accepted for free school lunches. August 23rd. Tooled for Buck. Went and got corn from mom's. Mom got a little dog. August 24th. Uh, put a tin roof on the storage rooms. Finished tooling for Buck for a little while. August 25th watched cartoons, and cleaned. August 26th, went to mom's, gave kid rides on Kim. August 27th, went to mom's, talked about life insurance, drew a headstone for my dad's grave. It looks like this and she has a a circular piece of stone and it has a trout on the top and an elk on the bottom and a drummer on the left and a Hereford cow on the right. Um, 1918 to 1984, Lionel Bell, Lee. August 28th. Finished a rough-out saddle and went to lunch. $50. Went to lunch with Carol. Found out Buck was born August 5th, 1916. So he was two years older than my grandpa. August 29, 1984. Worked on a belt. Buck half-hearted by Carol. Went and got our horse raid ring loam don't can't read it August 30th uh, told told leather finished runt two and got $50 The day before my grandpa died, um, my grandma sent me to the mailbox and she told me, you bring the mail back to me, only to me, and you hand it directly to me. Do you understand? And I was like, yes. And I knew that whatever was in the mailbox was very important. So I walked out to the mailbox. Grandma sent me to go get the mail all the time. This wasn't you know, an odd thing for me to do. It's kind of a reasonable chore for a small child. And um, got the letters. Or Actually, I think there was only one. Walked back to the house, and I looked for Grandma. And she wasn't in the kitchen, she wasn't in her room, and she wasn't upstairs, and she wasn't outside, and she wasn't... I walked around and around in circles and I had this letter that I knew was super, super important. And I didn't want to leave it on the kitchen table because I knew it was important. I knew I was supposed to hand it to grandma, but grandma wasn't there. Grandma had hidden because she knew what was in the letter. And so I handed it to grandpa And Grandpa opened his foreclosure notice for his ranch. Grandma had lived in a place where Grandpa couldn't find any work because he was Native American. So he worked for her brother up in Alaska and as a construction worker in Denver and Colorado and he would send paychecks home. Um, And so grandma lived there by herself, and she did what she could to keep the ranch going, and she took in foster kids to make a living. And uh, this made her really vulnerable to a lot of rapey, nasty neighbors, and so she got... So anytime she felt threatened or stressed out, she would hide, and you could not find her. And I think... That foreclosure letter that was in my hand made was triggered the same threat that a rapey neighbor triggered and that's why she had, she couldn't handle it. This is the 1980s, um, Nelson is doing Farm Aid, um, we're in a deep recession and the banks have called in their loans. And my grandpa couldn't pay the full, you know, $250,000 note all at once. And so they were gonna take everything. And he, he saw this um, foreclosure note and that's what caused the spiral into death. Ironically, um, he died like between tribal councils and at this really weird spot in the way the tribal government works. And because he died immediately, um, it actually saved his ranch, or part of it. Missy's fought um, for the little pieces left for 40 years before she finally got the title for it. but yeah, I am sad. When I woke up in the morning, um, it was like a, there was a talk show on the on radio or something, and I walked downstairs and got breakfast in the kitchen, and Mom and Missy and Grandma were all just talking, really animated. They didn't... They weren't crying. They would, just had a lot to say to each other. And Pat kind of is a brusque woman who walks really briskly and gets things done. And they kind of went through, through. Um, and then, you know, Missy and Leonard and Mom and I uh, packed into the cab of an old school, you know, single. Cab standard cab truck and went to the hospital and I uh, got to the hospital room and grandpa I could see him I, I wasn't let in his room but I could see him from the hall and he was just this pale gray color and he looked like he was already dead to me and my uncle Walt is a tall good-looking Norwegian um cowboy uh, he made it into the Cowboy Hall of Fame and he has a real soothing voice and calm manner about him uh, he went ahead and took me to Luco's Sports and Western and uh, we talked to Linda and he let Linda know that my grandpa was about to die and uh, Lukos is, has like this whole wall of uh, cowboy boots and they sold saddles and they sold baseball bats and clothing and fishing gear and hunting gear. I had a whole room full of rifles. Um, The the place kind of, parts of it kind of smelled like buck shop and other parts kind of smelled plasticky like a new car and then the gun shop had that oily gun oil smell they had like a whole aisle full of um all the feathers that you need to tie flies with were so beautiful then walt took me to the fair and he found his daughter um rhonda vermidal who's looks like him blonde blue-eyed um she was a teenager and she was in 4-h and i sat on her lap she sat on a straw bale and i felt uncomfortable because i was a little bit too old to sit on someone's lap i felt but except when riding in a truck which was a necessity because we didn't all fit and walk the aisles of the cows and the sheep and the llamas Then we went home back to Grandma and Grandpa's place after Grandpa died. And I remember Walt talking about uh, the Happy Hunting Grounds, and we were riding in their big, long Cadillac. Maybe it was a Buick. And I was in the backseat. I had never heard of the Happy Hunting Grounds. I was trying to picture them. when we got home, I wandered off and bawled. I went out um, to where the horses were and my tears blurred the colors of the world. The blue sky and the brown hills and the white clay road and the green grass bled together and, and the tears over my hot face which was over the silent, dark, loneliness inside. I pulled handfuls of grass, and the horses gathered at the rail fence and accepted my offering. They weren't sad. It made me kind of irritated and lonely to see that they didn't empathize. me at all. They just wanted their handfuls of grass and it didn't really bother them that I was bawling. I don't really know and I've heard other family members talk about this too. Um, None of us really understand why grandpa meant so much to us. They have more reasons. He was, when he was younger, he was um, an outdoorsman. He hunted, he fished, he told awesome stories. He was an, an amazing pinnacle player. He was, um, had like a Roy Rogers type wit about him, but I never really saw that side of him. I just saw a, a kind of a gray old man who would perch on a fence and smoke and perch on his chicken kitchen chair and, and smoke and drink coffee and perch on his the side of his bed and smoke and perch by a campfire sitting on his heels and smoke and perch in the cab of a truck and smoke and sit in his lazy boy chair and smoke he was this perching, smoking presence, but he really did mean something. I looked up to him. P.S. My Grandpa's Headstone. I remember... My mom getting the slab of kind of almost a brick red marble from my grandma, and it had been uh the slab the round piece of marble that she had used to make candy on and um it had a couple chips in it uh but it it was in pretty good shape um the name that my mom put on the headstone was Lionel Edward Bell. And this is kind of significant because that was the name that his parents gave him when he was born. But um, at the Polson County um, Courthouse, uh, they decided to change his name to Leonard Bell. they kind of did that with Native American people. You don't have the right to name your child after a train. How dare you have a unique name? We are going to make sure that you have a standard name. And uh, they did. So it was good to put things right by having his proper name on his headstone. I don't think that they could afford a headstone at that time. And so I remember my mom taking this piece of marble and setting it on the the tooling bench uh that she used for working for buck and she took an engraver and um zzz, all the letters and the trout jumping out of the water on the top, and she did an absolutely beautiful job: the Hereford cow on the right side um, looked like uh, a Hereford because the color of the the stone was almost the same color. And I remember her being really frustrated trying to find a picture of a horse to get like the proportion and everything right on the drawing of uh, a drummer. It looked really nice when it was put in place and yeah.